Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the glory of the resurrection. We pray that you would help us to see you high and exalted, lifted up today. Help us to understand what you have for us from this passage, from this message today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I am going to start off talking to the children. Uh, I have a friend who has a chicken coop at his house. And uh, he lives here in Portland. Uh, he lives kind of on a dead-end street with a big field across the street from his house. And so... Uh, as he tells me about this, uh, he says that he often at his house, they get visited by what he calls critters. Uh, and uh, I know that the Half family has a chicken coop. So I know there are one family in our church that has this at their house. Does anybody else 
Does anybody else have a chicken coop at your house? Okay, looks like the house are the only chicken coop family. Critters too. What's that? Critters too. Critters too, okay. Yeah. And so uh, my friend, he tells me that uh, what he's done is he, he's found that these critters, they're pretty interested in having some fresh chicken uh, or at least to get up close to where those chicken eggs are or something. They want to get where those chickens are. And so he has uh, set up a trap at his house next to the chicken coop. And uh, so kids, what kinds of animals do you think end up getting trapped in his trap? Yeah. Say it again. Raccoons. Raccoons. Yes, that's a big one that often happens. Yes. I, he hasn't told me about that one yet. I, yeah, I can see how that could happen, but yeah, no, no coyotes in the trap so far that I've heard about. Any other animal guesses? He's told me he's had some squirrels. Yeah, Amos. Uh, rats or possums? Possums. Yes, possums. Rats. Uh, Jesse. Chickens? <laughs> See, that's what I get. I called on an adult and I got an answer like that. All right. Uh, no, 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 he hasn't told me about the chickens getting caught in the trap. But uh, the other one, okay, Mara. Raccoons. Yes, raccoons, definitely. Raccoons and possums. And then another one, I, this one, I don't know if you would have guessed it or thought about it, but another one is skunks. He said that they've had a lot of skunks get caught in the trap. And uh, so, so they have all these animals that get, want, that, you know, I can just imagine that, I can imagine the little animal, you know, let's say it's a, let's say it's a, a raccoon. And the raccoon is saying, mmm, those chickens smell good. And then it just goes wandering right into that trap thinking I'm gonna get those chickens. And then boom, the door falls down behind him and he cannot get out, that raccoon. It, the, the trap doesn't hurt him. He, he's, he's not injured in any way. He, he just can't get out. And, uh, and so my friend, uh, he tells me that when he finds these different animals in his trap, that, uh, well, he has to make a decision. And I'm not gonna go into detail about this next part, but some of these animals, they get released and they stay alive and others of these animals don't stay alive. So that's, that's all I'll say about that part. But, but they get trapped. Good morning. And so, I'm telling us this story this morning because I want us to think about and see how sin is like a trap. And when we get caught in a trap, the only way to get out is if someone sets us free. And so think about that as we get started here this morning, because as we get into this message this morning, I want us to see how we're, we're, we're actually going to be looking at more than just these 18 verses from John chapter 20. We're going to look at some other characters that are here in both John chapter 20 and chapter 21. And in one of the commentar commentaries that I was using to prepare for today, the uh, writer was pointing out how 
with these different people, we see that Jesus comes along and meets these people as they're overcome and trapped in something that's going on for them in their life. And as he comes along and he meets them and they're trapped in what's going on, he transforms them and he sets them free. And so let's think about who I'm talking about. Who does Jesus come along and do that for in these two chapters? First, he comes along to Mary Magdalene. And what is she trapped in? She's trapped in grief. She's weeping and crying because she thinks that somebody has stolen the body of Jesus, a grave robber. And Jesus comes along and he transforms her. And she's set free to be on a mission. And her mission is to go and tell my brothers that I have risen. So that's Mary Magdalene. And then who does Jesus come along to next? Well, we hear a little further down beyond the passage that we just read, but we hear how the disciples were locked in a room for fear of the Jews. They were trapped in fear. So Mary Magdalene was trapped in grief. The disciples were trapped in fear, fear of the Jews. And Jesus appeared to them. He set them free. And in John chapter 20, verse 20, it says they were glad. They went from fear to gladness. And then keep going a little further towards the end of John chapter 20. And Jesus shows up to Thomas. What was he trapped in? We know about Thomas, don't we? He was trapped in doubt. Unless I see it, I'm not going to believe. He was trapped in doubt. And Jesus set him free to have faith, to believe. Those were the three that the commentary talked about. I'm going to add one more. I'm stepping out on a limb here, and I'm going to add one more. At the end of John chapter 21, Jesus is talking with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter was trapped in guilt, probably. He had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus came to him in that trap of guilt and restored him, set him free so that he would have a purpose again. And he commissioned him to feed his sheep. So let's, let's go ahead and take a little bit of a closer look at Mary Magdalene. We don't know too much about her. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of information about her. But the first place where she shows up in the Bible is in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And I'll read those for us now. Let's listen to see what we first hear about Mary Magdalene. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward... He, Jesus, went on 
through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So what do we learn about Mary from those verses? Well, we learned that she was an early follower of Jesus. Seven demons had gone out from her. And she's included in a list of women who helped provide for Jesus and the disciples. Her name also tells us something about where she's from. She was from a town called Magdala, which was an important fishing town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this city was famous for pickling fish, of all things. And so that fish, that pickled fish, was so in demand and so yummy for so many people that it got carried up to Jerusalem for the annual feasts and festivals that they would have in Jerusalem. And it was a town that was only about six miles from Capernaum, which is where Jesus had most of his earthly ministry. If we read in other parts of the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we can find out a little bit more about Mary Magdalene. She was present. She was with Jesus at his crucifixion. She was also there at his burial, which we read about at the end of chapter 19 of John. And then now she's here with him at his resurrection. So she was present with Jesus at crucial points during his earthly ministry. But here she is, we're finding her trapped in grief. She's overcome thinking that grave robber, robbers had stolen Jesus' body. She sees Jesus but thinks he's the gardener and asks him about the body. And then once he calls her by name, she knows who he is. And let's read again verse 17. It says, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, if you think about it, it can seem a little bit strange what's going on here because he's telling Mary Magdalene, don't cling to me. And then down at the end of the chapter, when he's with Thomas, he says, put your hands in my hands, put your hands in my side. So he's telling her, don't do this. He's telling Thomas, go ahead, come on. And so what's, what's going on with that? Well, uh, one, one way that it could be paraphrased, what Jesus is saying to her here is, uh, you, you don't need to keep 
touching me because I haven't ascended up to heaven yet. I'm still here. You don't have to hang on to me as if I'm about to disappear permanently yet. So instead of clinging to me, go and tell my disciples that I'm in the process of ascending. So that's, that's a paraphrase of what could be what Jesus is saying there in verse 17. But another thing that's also really interesting to point out too from verse 17 is what Jesus says there when he says, but go to my brothers. It's interesting because every place before this, when he said brothers, he was referring to his earthly brothers. And this is the first time when he uses the word brothers to refer to the disciples. And she got, she got the drift. She understood what he meant. She didn't go to his earthly brothers. She went to the disciples. That's, that's what changed here when he used the word brothers here in this verse. So that's Mary. Trapped in grief, transformed, released, and set free to be on a mission to go and tell the good news. She was the first one that was sent to go and tell the good news. But then we have those disciples a little bit further down in the chapter, and they were trapped in fear of the Jews in a locked room. Jesus appeared to them, set them free to be glad. They were glad, it tells us. Thomas, in his doubt, and Jesus appeared to him, transformed him, and strengthened his faith. Not too long ago, I was watching a TED Talk by a lady named Trisha Wang. Trisha Wang is a technology ethnographer. That's a mouthful. Okay, a technology ethnographer. And so in the year 2009, she was hired by Nokia, the cell phone company, and was hired by them to go and do some research over in China. And so Nokia said to her, Trisha, uh, we want you to go to China. We want you to do your research over there and find out for us what the possibilities are for us to sell smartphones to the poor people of China. Trisha is Chinese American. Her mother is Chinese. And uh, as an ethnographer, I mean, she, she went to China and she lived among the poor people and did what they did to try to do her research. So, I mean, at one point in time, she even was like a street vendor selling dumplings among the poor people in the place where she was living in China. And she was doing this research to try to figure out what the possibilities would be for selling smartphones to these poor people in that place. And so she, she lived over there and was among, among them for quite some period of time. And then uh, after she did her research, she went back to Nokia and here's what she said to Nokia. She said, Nokia, uh, here's the deal. Yes, 
there would be a huge market for these cell phones among the poor people in China. But in order for it to really take off and be successful, what needs to happen is that they need to have fewer features and be sold for a cheaper price. And Nokia said back to her, Trisha, we know we hired you to go and do this research, but Trisha, we rely, we're gonna rely in this situation on big data. And we want, we want you to know that big data has some other news for us. Big data tells us that we can go ahead and sell the full featured phones at full price in China and we'll be able to just do fun. Trisha was like, I lived with these people. You hired me to go and do this research. And I'm telling you, you're not listening to me. And they didn't listen to her. And at the time when this all happened, Nokia was one of the top cell phone uh, companies in the world. And after they made that decision to sell those cell phones at full price, full features, they went down and they had to sell out to Microsoft and it didn't go so well. So she tells that story in her TED talk and then she talks about something called quantitative bias. Now we hear about bias a lot nowadays. We hear about implicit bias. We hear about bias crimes, but what does quantitative bias mean? And here's how she defines it. She says, quantitative bias is the unconscious belief of valuing the measurable over the immeasurable. Tell you that story to go on to say when Jesus rose from the grave, it was immeasurable. Lazarus had risen from the dead in John chapter 11, but he still had his same body. He came out of that tomb wearing all his burial linens. But Jesus rose with a new body, a resurrection body. And he was not wearing his burial linens like Lazarus did, and this did not fit any categories then or now. It's immeasurable. We often can find ourselves trapped in quantitative bias. And let us not try to measure our Lord with big data because he is bigger than that. Then there's Peter trapped in his guilt. He was restored, set free to have a purpose. What about you? Are you trapped today in something that's preventing you from being free? Maybe you identify with one of these that we see here. Maybe you're trapped today in grief, in fear, or doubt. Or guilt. Maybe it's something else. It could be lust. It could be pride. It could be selfishness. It could be any trap. Sin is like a trap. But whatever it is, we can't get it out. Can't get out of it ourselves. Because we need Jesus to transform us. He meets us where we are. And he'll transform us, and he'll set us free. 
Well, I want to talk about three implications of what's happening here about the resurrection. This is the so what part of the message. Jesus got a new body and we get a new body. That's implication number one. No more sickness, no more death. And when your body is working just fine, this implication might not mean too much to you. But if there's anything about your body that's not working the way it's supposed to, this implication is a big one. And the sad truth of it is the older I get, the more this implication means to me. <laughs> My body's working fine, thank the Lord. But I just am saying that, that the older we get, the more we realize we're gonna get a new one and it's gonna be way better. Implication number two, Jesus' resurrection allows us to put our minds on the things that are above. I'd like to read a few verses from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ. And I'm going to stop there for a moment to say, if you are here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, then you can say yes to that with Paul as he says that in that verse. If then you have been raised with Christ, you can say, yes, I have been raised with Christ. Then this is what Paul says we should do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I, you keep going in that chapter, and Paul goes on to say that we should put to death what is earthly in you, put off the old self, put on the new self. His resurrection is what helps us to be able to do that. And lastly, following closely upon that, Jesus' resurrection sets us free. It didn't just set Mary Magdalene free. It didn't just set those disciples free. Peter free. It sets us free. It's still setting people free today. It's all inclusive. It's what allows us to say, I have been saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. Amen. And it's what's it's, it's what makes it work. Some people can call the unbreakable chain that we see in Romans 8, verse 30. I'll read this for us quickly. Romans 8, 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's an unbreakable chain. So do you think of an area where you are trapped? Jesus rose from the dead. He's ready to meet you where you are, and he's ready to set you free. He can change your grief, turn it into his mission. He can change your fear into gladness. He can change your doubt into faith and belief. He can change your denial into purpose. Let's pray. Lord, we confess to you that we get trapped in our sin. 
We're like those raccoons, those possums, those scums. We get trapped. We can't get out. We need you to set us free. Thank you that you are so powerful that your message of good news is still transforming us and setting us free, even today. In Jesus' name, amen.